0: Praise the Lord. It's good to see this good crowd out on this uh, cold, dreary day in October, but we're glad that you're here, and I believe that the Lord's got a word for all of us here tonight. I believe he's going to speak to us. I really believe that there were people that were totally healed by the power of Jesus Christ this morning, don't you? I'm excited about it. I've been hearing some testimonies already. One young man came to me, and he said, while you were preaching, it was just like you were talking to me. I need to be saved, and he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? That souls are being saved. People are being redeemed. People are being brought back to the place of the relationship with God. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit. How many are longing for significance? I think all of us in this building want significance in our life. Not for a selfish reasons, but we want to feel like that we belong. We want to feel like we're important. We want to feel like that we're needful. We want to have purpose. We want to have meaning. And all of us long for fulfillment. I long to be fulfilled. I long to have significance. I want to be significant, especially for the kingdom of God. I want to be significant to my family. I want my children to rise up up and say, my daddy was a a good man, a a godly man. I I want them to see the heritage of the Lord that the Lord wants to pass down through me to my lineage. But as we begin to think about how are we going to get the significance, how do we find fulfillment? We all want it. We all desire it. We all want to be successful. I don't know about you, but I, I literally not only want to experience supernatural things, I want the supernatural to work through me. I want want supernatural occurrences, supernatural happenings to happen within my life. And let me tell you, even though you want those things, yet you got to understand, you got to place yourself in a position to be able to receive those things. Them things do not just come out of chance or coincidence. Success doesn't just happen out of mere chance. But you have to pursue it. You have to want it. You have to desire it. And we're going to be dealing with the spirit tonight. Two different spirits. If I can get to both of them, I don't know. I just, I just, I feel like the Lord wants me to get to one certain thing then I'm going to stop. But there's spirits that come against us to try to rob us of us being fulfilled in Christ and being all that Christ wants us to be. And sometimes when we think about the supernatural, we want to overcompensate in our minds of what the supernatural is. Sometimes supernatural things happen right before your eyes and you don't even recognize it as supernatural because supernatural things sometimes can be so natural, yet you look at it and say, only God could have done that. Only God could have done it, but yet if we're not careful, we don't look at it that God worked Through us in a way that was supernatural. We just think it was just something that just occurred or something that just happened. But sometimes I think the supernatural is working more in the church than what we want to give credit for. And tonight I want to talk to some real people in this building that are going through some hard times trying to find significance, trying to find like, I want to belong. I want to feel needed. I want to be a part. And that fear and different kinds of spirits, intimidation and condemnation and guilt or whatever is holding you back from being able to launch yourself in the destiny of God. And I want to talk to you seriously about what's causing those things. As I was in prayer this week and I was just thinking about the church in general and I can see people sometimes as such a longing, such a desire, such a hunger in their heart. And yet I read Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness they shall be filled. And God blesses and God touches and God fills us. But there's something that holds us back. What is it that holds us back? I'm going to try to reveal that through the Apostle Paul life, Apostle Peter's life, I want to show you where Peter was at, and I've preached out of this text before, and we've dissected it and, and went all kinds of different kinds of directions because there's a lot of preaching out of these two verses, but I want to go a little bit different, use some uh, uh, language that maybe I've used in, uh, before, but I want to talk to you out of the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 21 or, or 31 and 32, Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and verse 32, get ready, are you ready for significance? catch. Are you ready for something to happen in your life that's going to break you through to where you're going to be able to respond to the destiny that God has laid out before you without fear and intimidation or guilt? You're going to launch into your destiny for your life. I want every single one of you to feel fulfilled and happy and joyful that you are a part of the family of God. You belong and that you're just like everybody else that we're on equal ground and that God's got a specific ministry, a specific purpose for your life. I want everyone to know that is the case here tonight. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, if you'd stand for the reading of the word, <clears throat> very familiar passage of scripture. Or we, there's been a lot of sermons preached out of this. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Brother Josh Reasons, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word of the Lord, please? Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, when I first start this sermon out, you're gonna think, what has this got to do with significance? What has it got to do with anybody about launching in your destiny? You just hang with me. Hopefully, I'll build the sermon the way the Lord's put it into my spirit, and I'll probably get way off of my notes because I'm just feeling the direction of the Lord going all kinds of different directions tonight. But tonight, I wanna to talk to you a little bit a while on the thought, don't accept failure as defeat. Did you hear that? Don't accept failure as defeat. When you look into our scripture text, the first thing you're gonna find, the first thing that you're gonna notice is Peter is on the brink of a failure, a great failure. And a matter of fact, he's about to make one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He's about to make a decision that literally is going to set him back within his spiritual spiritual journey. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life that I've made decisions that have set me back. Have If anybody had setbacks, raise your hand if you've had setbacks. If you ain't raising your hand, you're a liar, and the truth dwelleth not within you. But the truth of the matter is Peter is about to make a decision that goes against the grain of being significant any time that a man wants to walk out of the out of the will of God and walk out of the limelight of the spiritual and the supernatural into the carnal he's going to fail and when he fails he loses his spiritual significance but Peter's on this brink of failure this isn't the first time that Peter had failed in our scripture or the warning that he's going to fail but yet neither would it be the last time that would Peter would fail either failure in itself is not defeat I want you to know that failure in itself is not defeat defeat only happens when those that fail refuse to get up and try it again. That's when you're a failure. Did you hear what I said? Failure in itself is not defeat. Failure only happens when the one that has failed refuses to get back up, dust himself off, and said, well, I tried it and I failed, but I'm gonna try, try again. Peter's failure here was a direct result of him thinking that he would never fail. Matter of fact, his failure stemmed from the root of overconfidence. Don't be overconfident of where you're at. Paul put it this way. Paul says take heed when you think you stand and lest you fall. Every single one of us in this building need to understand there are vulnerabilities and weaknesses in all of us. When you look over this congregation, there is no superstars. When you look over this congregation, there's not the high and the low, the lofty and and the abased. I want you to know that when you look over this congregation, there's something that all of us have in common. It's called flesh. It's called humanity. It's 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 called weakness. Every single one of us have weaknesses in our lives. Even though we like to build people up and put them on pedestals and we say stuff like, oh, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have what they have. I would like to be in their shoes. I would like to be able to have the the anointing that they have and all that kind of stuff. Never want something that somebody else has. It's good to look to somebody and and they're leading you and they're, they're showing you a direction, but I want you to know, never want what someone else has, only get what God wants for you. That's where we got to understand that the very thing, I hope I inspire you, I hope somehow I I, I, I spur you on, but the truth of the matter is, I am who I am, you've got to be who you are, and you've got to say yes, I want the anointing, but the anointing that I want, I want it to be tailor-made to fit just me. I can't put on Saul's armor, David says, it's not made for me. And there's things that you've got to understand that God's got tailor-made blessings and a tailor-made anointing that is just made perfectly for you and nobody else. And God wants to fit you with that. But the truth of the matter is this. When I was a young boy and I first got saved and I seen Jimmy Swaggart back in the heyday when the man, he was preaching the glory of the Lord was falling in his services. Thousands were coming to the church and packing in. I literally would think in my mind on judgment day, I would love to be able to stand in his shoes instead of mine. I idolized him and I looked at him as a man that I would really want to be like and and all of that kind of thing. Only when he fell and had a mistake in his life, I began to really understand. Understand that there really is no real superstars that's got it all together and that they never fail and they're never weak. Every single one of us in this building have vulnerabilities. We are weak at times. I'm weak at times. You're weak at times. There's nobody that's got it all together. I want you to know that all of us are on equal plane. There's only three, there's only three temptations common to man and all three of us face them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every single one of us in this building We face the same things, feel the same things, experience the same things. We fight the same things. We are on all equal ground when it comes to vulnerability and weakness. Can I have an amen? Is anybody in this building with me here today? So I want you to quit thinking that you're less than everybody else because they don't understand the war that rages inside of me. You know what? Every single one of us understands the war that rages inside of you because we all fight that same raging war. Everybody does. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord, that war is a real fight. But here's Peter. His failure stemmed from the root of his being overconfident. Jesus could see Peter's failure. Jesus could see what Peter himself could not see. I'm afraid that too many of us are like Peter. Peter was like what Harvey Farstone said one time. He said, uh, we see things not as they are, but we see things the way we are. or We see things as we are is what he said. And I'm afraid that too many of us can only see things in the light of who we are and not in the way that things actually is or the way that things actually appear. You see, the carnal man sees things only in the realm of his own character because he cannot accept that anything else can exist outside of his own precept. When we are faced with certain dilemmas, we see things only in the lens of our own perception and the lens of our own thinking and everything outside of that we think is is flawed or not real or whatever. But I want you to know, Peter was told and he was warned that Satan desired to have him and to sift him as wheat. He could not accept that message Actually, Because Peter, at this point, was willing to die for the Lord. Peter was willing to go to war with him. Peter was right by his side. Peter was, the manifested presence of Jesus was roped in human flesh, walking with him, eating with him. He handled the bread of life with his own hands. And at this particular time, Peter probably would have died. But, but, but when Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you, that word have in the Greek means to control or to manipulate or to actually enslave. And if there's one thing I want all of us to know, and that is that the enemy would love to try to manipulate us. He would love to try to enslave us. He would try, love to try to have a sense of control or influence within our lives. And the second thing he says, he not only does he want to control and manipulate you, but he also wants to sift you as wheat. Now that word sift means to actually crush. It means to take from a solid state to a powder state by crushing. In other words, he wants to destroy us. So every single one of us in this building has have a common enemy. The enemy's desire is to literally have control and influence over our lives to the point that it brings us to a place that we are crushed and rendered unaffected. If there's one thing the enemy is afraid of, he's afraid of your possibility. He is afraid of your potential. He is afraid of your calling. He's afraid of your anointing. He's afraid of the gifts of God that lie deep inside of you that you've not tapped in yet. I think sometimes the enemy can see more of the the potential in our lives that we can see for ourselves i want you to know that the enemy reverent rever- reveres you the enemy is afraid of you and the enemy is sitting back on the sidelines worried about what you might become in god can i have an amen look at somebody and say you're greater than what what appears right now look at somebody and tell them that you're greater than what seems to appear right now on the horizon but here is Satan, and he's trying to crush out, stomp out, the potential in Peter's life. He's trying to rob Peter of becoming the great apostle that we all know that Peter became. He is trying to stop Peter from being that superhero giant that we say that is the giant of the faith. But Peter reply. Peter's reply was this. Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and both into death. He literally draws a sword. He cuts the ear of a servant of the high priest off and Jesus has to say, no, 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 Peter, put up your sword. He that fights with the sword is going to perish by the sword. Peter at that particular time was ready to die for Christ. And when we come into the house of God and we feel the presence of God, everything's going grand and glorious and everything's going wonderful. Well, we're on the height of our, our experience. we we're overconfident within ourselves. We're ready to take a stand. We make both statements. We give out great testimonies and we do great things and we just praise and magnify and we get all involved in the mechanics of, of spiritual activity but then all of a sudden when that presence of God that's manifested walking along side of us seems to disappear and goes by the way of the cross and seems to be dead and seems to be put into a tomb all of a sudden we find ourselves falling apart because That manifested presence is not there. That's exactly what Peter done. He's on a height when Jesus is there. But when they take him in the garden and lead him away and they're going to crucify him, Peter follows a four off. And as you all know, we know that Peter begins to make some of the worst decisions in his life at that particular point. So it's easy to serve the Lord when you're together among the brethren in the house of God. But what happens when all hell comes against you and there seems to be no manifested presence of Jesus around? Are you going to cave in and fall apart and give in to that that, shit, that sifting, that crushing that Peter did? Or are you going to stand up and say, ho, 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 though I don't feel him, though I don't sense him, by faith I know that he's here and by faith I will reach my potential and I will have spiritual success and I will be a of the kingdom of God with anointing that will make a difference. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise in this house. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I don't know who, but I am. Peter was replying, I'm ready to die and I'm all this, but Peter cannot see his own weakness, his own vulnerability, neither can you and I a lot of times. Peter's failure was caused by his own self sense of confidence. But don't you think it's kind of odd that Peter's failure almost caused him to lose his faith completely? That's what's strange about this. His self-confidence and his overzealous stand was gone over one night of failure. He fails, and before long, he's at the end of his rope. Denying Jesus, cursing Jesus, taking an oath that he don't know him. Come on, somebody help me preach. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself told Peter that he had prayed for him, that his failure would not cause his faith to fail him. Now, did you know? Now listen to what I'm about to say as a pastor. I'm not giving you a license to sin. I'm not giving you a license to do things that's wrong. But nevertheless, I want you to understand if you do things wrong, one failure or one defeat does not mean that your faith has to fail you. Just because you fail does not mean that your faith fails you. Somebody help me preach right here. Just because I go out here and find myself vulnerable and not paying attention and I become weak and I become vulnerable and all of a sudden I stumble, that does not mean I'm counted out in the, in the arena of, of God's expectation over my life. It does not mean that I'm over, I'm done, I'm washed up, I'm cast off, God doesn't love me anymore, I'm not worthy of anything anymore. I want you to know a failure does not have to determine your destiny, it's only if you allow it to do so. Can I have an amen? Now, I know we make mistakes. I know that we err. I know that we make bad judgment. And sometimes we play an old sin. Can I have an amen? amen? And one act of disobedience or one act of failure does not mean that I'm counted out. Don't you think it's strange that Jesus seen a failure and a leader at the very same time? I love that thought when the Lord gave it to me. Not only did Jesus foresee and expose Peter's failure, yeah, he dealt with it. He's going to deal with our failure. But he also foreseen and predicted his leadership and he also dealt with that. Why is it that we only want to wall around in self-pity and focus upon the failure and the negative, but we never see the potential of the positives that God is working in our life? Come on now. We can have 30 strengths, Bill, and we can be flowing in the Holy Spirit and one little failure robs us of all of our strengths overnight just like that. We come in and we feel condemnation and we feel guilt. And all of the strengths that God has placed within me, they're literally almost aborted or put on hold all because of somehow we feel condemned over a night of error. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm not advocating that we can err. And live in air, and stay in air, and practice air to have the anointing. But I can tell you this: we can sin in air and still have the anointing of God. It's whether or not we want to practice the sin and walk in the sin, or whether we want to turn from it and say, "God, I messed up." Can I have an amen? Somebody help me preach. The Lord is speaking to this congregation and say, quit walling around in your self-pity so and your condemnation. It's for you time for you to rise up and understand the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And understand that if you didn't have anything in you, the devil wouldn't be fighting you. And if he's fighting you, that means you got something he ain't got yet. So understand that you are you are a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. Give the Lord praise for who he is. Praise the name of the Lord. But here's God, and he begins to say, you know, not only are you going to fail me, the cock's going to crow three times, and you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows them three times. And he's, he's, he's warning him. He's telling him, let me stop right here and say this. Before every failure, there's always a warning. God loves us enough to warn us. Aren't you glad of that? The Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. And before you fail, there'll be that nudge, that conviction, that, that, the whisper. There'll be a warning, there'll be a prophecy, there'll be a word, whatever it is. There's always a warning before you fail. And why everybody says, I know, I was warning, I still done it anyway. Well, get over it, we all have. Hello? Don't look at me so pious there tonight and say, well, I've never failed, you're a liar, hallelujah. Come on, somebody help me preach. We've all heard the voice of God and we've all turned a deaf ear to it and we've all stumbled into our own way and we have failed God miserably. We all have. We've made wrong decisions. We've made wrong calls. We've said wrong things. we went to wrong places. We've seen wrong things that we shouldn't see. We've acted, acted on things that we shouldn't have acted upon. I'm not advocating that's good. I know there's consequences to it, but I also know this, that if you done it with a heart that was trying to seek out the Lord and you stumbled into weakness like Peter did here, get over it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Rise up, dust yourself off and say, boy, did I make a mess of it last time, but I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to step out. I'm not going to ever do that again, but I'm going to be a success for God and I am going to have significance in my life. Hallelujah. Some of you are so beat up and so guilty over things that happened 20 years ago. 20 years ago. 15 years ago. Five minutes ago. I don't care. God's ready to say there's a new turnaround for you here tonight. But Jesus told Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. That don't sound like that he's real hard on Peter, does it? He lays out, I'm, this is what you're going to do. You're going to fail me. You're going to fail me miserably. But when you're converted, Peter, God knew Peter's heart. He foreseen it, and he begins to tell him, but when you're converted, strengthen the brother. What does that tell you? Peter's failure was serious, yes. He lied, he cursed, he denied Christ, he swore, he took an oath. There's a lot of things that he'd done that was seriously wrong. That's horrible. Amen, no liar's gonna go into heaven. He denied, anybody that denies me, I will deny him before my fathers when I come with my holy angel. Come on, this is serious stuff. This guy's made a, a mockery of his faith. Anybody with me? Folks, this is the apostle Peter. He had a higher standing than a member of the palace of praise. Come on, somebody help me. He's one of the handpicked disciples of Jesus. He's the great apostle, written a lot of epistles. And here he is, lying, taking over. I don't know the man, rejecting Jesus in front of the crowd, following him afore off, forming himself by the world's fire. Come on, somebody say amen. But what made Peter a great leader is this, that Jesus knew that he would print, and he did go out and he repented. Matter of fact, what does 1 John 1 and 9 say? Say it with me. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many believe that to be true? If you came as a rank sinner to get saved and he saved you from all of your sins, can he not save you from the one that you that you sinned while you've been a child of God? Come on, somebody help me preach. Is God big enough to forgive? Is God great enough to forgive And When he forgives, does he hold it over your head as a reminder? No, he cast it as far as the east is into the west. He throws it in the sea of forgiveness and puts up a sign that says no fishing. I'm here to tell somebody here tonight that you have been bound by condemnation and guilt over past sins and past failures, horrible mistakes that you've made. You've even, You've even, you've even uh, uh, marred your name. There's people that don't even believe in you no more. It doesn't matter that people don't believe in you. What matters is whether or not Jesus believes in you and you believe in yourself in Christ. In me dwelleth no good thing, but in him, I live and I move and I have my being. I know who I am in Christ. Amen? Oh, I'm hoping you're getting this tonight. If we fail, it meant that we were, if we failed and it meant that we were doomed for uh, failure, then we're all doomed because we've all failed. You know the Bible tells us in Romans 3 23, very basic stuff, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. John says in 1 John 1 and 8, and I've been teasing you with it a little bit, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth ain't in us that every single one of us in this building deals with vulnerabilities to where we come short of God's glory, whether it be an attitude, actions, behavior, uh, language, whatever. God deals with our temperaments. He deals with our personalities. And let me tell you, every single one of us here tonight is dealing with things in our life to where we are coming short of the glory of God, but I want you to know, even though that is happening, we're not counted out to God's significance and that, that we and you, you and I can find significance in the kingdom of God, even with the wars that rage with inside of us. I like what John Locke said. He said, the greatest of a leader is the, his humility before God, Not as eloquence, not as perfection, and not as ability before men. We always want to put people on a pedestal and say only these kinds of people can serve. Only these kinds of people can do this, that, or the other. And yet sometimes I'm shocked about the type of people that Jesus chose to be on his team. I'm thankful that he chose me to be on his team tonight. Are you on his team? Are you on team Jesus? Amen? I'm, I'm sometimes... I feel belittled, unworthy, of course, to be on Team Jesus, but I thank God that I got a captain of my salvation that makes me worthy through his own sacrifice that he provided on Calvary for me. Failure should not be the strong point to the, failure shouldn't be the stopping point, I should say, to the believer, but it should be the starting point to success. When we fail, we are to say, brush ourselves off and say, now I've got a new start. I've learned a lesson by this. IBM Tom's Watson was asked one time if he was going to fire an employee that literally made a mistake that cost him $600,000. This guy lost over a half a million dollars. And they asked him this question and said, are you going to fire him? And he said, no, I'm not going to fire him. He said, why in the world would you not fire him? This wasn't a $1,000. This wasn't $50. This wasn't you know, $10,000. This was $600,000 mistake. Tom Watson said, I'm not going to fire him. I just spent $600,000 training him. Why would I want somebody else to to hire his experience? Amen? In other words, hey, man, I just spent $600,000 in training. Why should I throw that that away and put that to where somebody else can hire him and he can become success over learning from his mistakes? I want to give you an equation that I put together that I believe is very biblical and I believe I can back it up with biblical scripture, and that is this. The principle behind what Tom Watson was preaching or speaking to us through that example is this. Grace, forgiveness, slash, uh, grace equals an asset and not a liability. In other words, when I fail and I fall miserably, God covers me by grace, grace causes the equation to come out as an asset and not as a liability, that God says, hey, my boy just learned something. Hey, my boy just got an education. Hey, my boy just found out what not to do or what he should have done. Can I have an amen? Thank God that even my mistakes, that God don't look at it as a liability to where he has to shove me off and discard me or fire me, but God says I'm investing in my boy and I'm bringing him up to become the leader that I have designed him to be. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. Oh my goodness! You know what failures is? Failure is nothing more than stepping stones to success. You learn by them. Thank God that we learn by our failures. The only way to get experience is to try something again. Try it. If the first time that you ever wrecked your bicycle, if you never got on it, you'd never become a rider of a bike. Amen. I remember the first time I got on roller skates. You know how I learned to roller skate? I'll tell you how I learned to roller skate. I put on a pair of roller skates and got a rope and tied it to a bicycle and they pulled me with a bicycle. (laughs) And let me tell you something, folks, I didn't have hide for the first six months of my life. We'd done it on asphalt. And I'm here to tell you I learned some valuable lessons about doing that kind of a thing. And that's the same way in the spiritual realm. We do some stupid things in the spirit realm sometimes. We make horrible mistakes. We we literally, folks, do things that are are, are so appalling to God and to ourselves. And and we're embarrassed and we do things that we shouldn't do. The Apostle Paul warned with it. When I try to do good, evil is present and I find myself doing the things I ought not do. Come on. That's the apostle Paul for heaven's sakes. There's a war in my members. He's saying, oh, that old man that was crucified and put aside, he said, every once in a while I find that man rearing up. Every once in a while I find that man overtaking me. Every once in a while I find myself doing the things I shouldn't do and saying the things I shouldn't say and going places I shouldn't go. Hello? But look what the apostle Paul became. Now watch this. The only way that Peter became a great apostle that he was was through his mistakes that gave him experiences. You're never going to learn if you never have any experiences. One of the reasons why there's so little done among so many people, and that is they're afraid of failure. I want to hit this real hard because this is where the Holy Spirit's really laid this in my heart. The whole message seems to be around this one word that the Spirit's put in my heart. I am tired of God's people facing intimidation. I'm sick of it. For they'll sit back and they'll watch and they'll observe. They want, they desire. They're good people. They're not bad people. They have a heart to want to do, and they'll sit back there and they'll watch everybody else do it. and They'll say, "I wished I could. I wish I could be like that. I am so less fortunate. I can't. I, I, I just I can't rise to the occasion. I don't have the ability. I don't have the education. I, I, and, and before long, we'll talk ourselves into a state of becoming a victim." And then what happens is when things happen that, that we want to happen in our lives and they don't happen for our lives, we can become a little bit jealous of it happening for others. And we can say things like, oh, I'd go to so-and-so, I'd go to the ladies' trip, but they're, they're, they're more holier than I now. Can't, I can't never compete or match up with those. They got a snotty nose. They think they're better than everybody else. Or they'll say things like, I, I can't get involved in that ministry because they're goody-two-shoes. They, they walk around, and they're the holier-than-thou crowd. And they always talk themselves out of, out of not getting involved, and they always give a reason for it. And it's all because they got a spirit of intimidation upon their lives. It is, they're inferior. They feel inferior to the rest of the body of Christ, Come on, somebody. I know we're on different planes at different levels as we walk. Somebody that's serving the Lord 30 years is on a different level than those that's serving the Lord for five months. I would hope so anyway. But on the other side of the coin, I want you to know that the man that has 30 years' of experience, he got there by making a lot of blunders and a lot of mistakes, and he had to find a lot of forgiveness from a lot of people and even had to forgive himself. Hello? Those of you that are sitting here in this congregation, and you're wanting to be involved, get involved, but you're afraid. I, I'm a, I'll fail. I, I'll never match up. I'll never hit the mark. I, I'll never be able to be like them. I, I don't have the education. I, I don't have the. I don't have the capability. I don't have the finance. We'll give all these different reasons. One of the things that I have fought in my life. I uh, to be honest with you, I don't know why God's allowed me to rub shoulders with some of the greatest men. In our denomination, been on boards, am on boards where I feel intimidated. Right now, I'm on a board where I go down to uh, Sevierville, Tennessee uh, two or three times a year. And I walk in and I rub shoulders with men that's got doctorate degrees in theology. And they sit right down beside me. Our general overseer comes in, sits down, and engages in conversation with me. And you're talking about a duck out of water? Baby, this duck's out of water. Amen? Come on you know you know I'm sitting there and I'm amazed that you know they're all groomed, they're all polished, physically, spiritually, emotionally I mean they got it all together and all of a sudden one day, years ago the spirit of the Lord just placed it in me and said, they're no different than you are boy. The calling on them is the same calling I put on you. don't ever be intimidated of your calling. And now I go down there and I mispronounce words and I, I spit and I, 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 when I preach, I preach just like I preach right here. I'm not gonna try to become an eloquent preacher just because of them. I found out I am who I am and I'm gonna be who I'm gonna be. It don't matter what they think. God's called me, God's ordained me and if God called me, what can they say about it? Can I have an amen? Somewhere in the body of Christ, we've got to get to this place that we put the spirit of intimidation under us and kick it down. Because I want you to understand, those that are above in a different level than you are, they're your greatest cheerleading spurring you on, wanting you to come to that level with them. Can I have an amen? There is no failure as long as someone's trying to succeed. Amen. Peter is noted for his great spiritual exploits more than his failures that he experienced. Amen? When you think of the Apostle Peter, what do you think of? You don't think of this story. Amen? How did Peter become what he became? Through his exploits, through his trial, through his error, through his mistakes, through his successes. One minute he'd be encouraged, the next minute he'd be convicted. Haven't you ever been on a spiritual high where God was patting you on the back and edifying you? only to find out before the week's over he's got you in the woodshed bending you over, spurring you on with correction? Hello? Am I the only one that lives this kind of life? Hello? Peter faced the same thing and what made him a successful leader and a successful uh, apostle was that he never gave up. He never stopped believing in himself and his calling Peter's noted, as I said, for his great exploits more than his failures. I want to tell you, was Peter presumptuous? Yeah. Was he uh, arrogant? A little bit. And he was really a radical. I want you to know what I see about the Apostle Peter. He's presumptuous. He's a radical. He's hot-headed. He speaks before he thinks. That's Kent Miller made all over. I'm kind of like the Apostle Peter. Sometimes I say things that like, mm, what did I say? That Immediately I feel it. But it's too late. I done threw it out there. I'm trying to learn. And, you know, he's just, he's just that type of a guy. He's presumptuous. He just, he's just kind of, he's a loose cannon. If he was on your team every once in a while, you'd think, oh, he's going to get up and take off. And is he going to do good or is he going to do bad? Is he going to say something stupid or is he going to be on target? Because Peter knew how to be on target and Peter now knew how to say things stupid. Amen? haven't you ever been around people like that one minute they got it all together, the next minute you think, "Is that the same person?" And as you say, yes, you're seeing them in the lens of the way that you see them. But I want to tell you something, you need to look at yourself because in the lens of yourself, that's exactly how we are. Amen. And here's Peter. He's not known for being presumptuous that much, hot-headed. or, you know, I mean we know about him being like that, but you know what he's noted for? He's noted for walking on water that no one else did. He's noted for uh, uh, his shadow going out and touching people and healing people. He's noted for going to Ananias and Sapphira and casting judgment down. and the fire come upon them and they die. He, he's noted for preaching a sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls are saved. He's noted for laying hands on the sick and they recover. That's what he's noted for. How did he get there? Through his trial, through his error, through his failures, through his problems, through his difficulties, through his training, through his development. Failure is nothing more than a saint in literally training. We're in training here. None of us has got it all together. If you think you got it all together, would you please leave the church? Amen. Amen. Oh, that went over like a lead balloon. (laughs) Peter's greatness is not seen in his perfection, but in his persistence to get up and try again. John Maxwell said this, real leaders are ordinary common people with extraordinary determination. Amen? Donald Kendall, the chairman of Pepsi Cola a few years ago said this, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. You can put a ship out in the harbor and you can paint it and you can... You can wash it and you can dial it up. You can take it and you can make it a show place. And you can go out and you can brag, look at my ship. Look at that ship in that harbor. And everybody, ooh, ah, you can have you one of the most beautiful ships that there is. But I want to beware if you ever sell it, it's going to become tattered anything that sells is going to be tattered. And anything in the kingdom of God that steps out in faith and begins to walk this journey of excellence, this journey of significance, this journey of ministry, this journey of anointing, I want you to know, get ready. You're going to become tattered. Get ready. There's going to be some bruising. There's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some flaws. There's going to be some weeping. There's going to be some falling down in the dust and getting dirty. Come on. But I want to tell you something for that is the purpose in which we were made. I'm not made to sit on a pew. I'm not made to be a ship in a harbor. I'm made to be a ship that sails. Though the storm rages and the sails are rent and the sails are torn and the ship takes on water, as the old song says, yet the anchor holds. Amen. It's going to hold me. He's going to keep me. Hallelujah. It was Elbert Hubbard that said, To avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. It's odd to me that the only people that get criticized are the people that's trying. Amen? You'll never hear me as a pastor criticize you if you step out and try and you you fail miserably. I will applaud you because you've done more than the person that never tried to do anything. Amen? I hope I'm hitting home here tonight. Eugene Warr said, all glory comes from daring to begin. All glory comes from the dare to begin. Let me ask you, how many want to experience the glory of God? You'll never experience any glory if you never get yourself at a place to where you need to receive the glory. You're not going to find glory sitting and doing nothing and being like an ostrich putting your head in the sand, hiding yourself and says, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Don't say that you can't, just say you won't. It's time for people to rise up to the occasion. I hear people all the time say, well, I can't face a crowd. Don't ask me to pray. I can't pray. Don't ask me to read. I can't read. Don't ask me this. Don't ask. Get over your inferiorities. Get over your intimidation. When I go down to Cleveland and have to preach or when I have to make a, 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 a report and I get up before them men and I have to do certain things for that, that home for children, I get nervous and my hands shake. But you know what? I've just come to understand I am who I am. And it, if God didn't want me there, he would have never put me there in the first place. And that's what you've got to do is say, you know what? I've got to get over this fear. Uh, fear is not of God. Intimidation is not of God. Stretch yourself out of, your, out of your hole, out of your comfort zones. And if you want significance, then the only way to do it is to dare try. And when you dare try, you'll experience the glory. The glory of the Lord. Amen? i got to hurry up. Richard actually said, failing doesn't make you a failure. Giving up and accepting your failure, refusing to try again, does. I like that. You see, what made Peter the real apostle was not only refusing to let failures get him down, not only was it his success by him getting back up and trying again, but Peter was also willing to learn from his mistakes. Did you know you never find Peter ever cursing and taking an oath and swearing that he don't know Jesus ever again? Never see that again. Peter at least learned from his mistakes. And I want you to understand that when people make a mistake, the only thing that makes them failures, if they live in that mistake and keep repeating that mistake over and over and over, it's called practicing sin. And that's when you become a failure. But when you make a mistake and get back up and dust it off and say, I learned from that, I'm not gonna go there no more. I'm not gonna do that no more. I'm not gonna make that that mistake twice. Learn from your mistakes Abraham Lincoln said this My great concern is not whether you have failed But whether you're content within your failure Don't become a victim and sit back and say Well I can't be I, I've got too much baggage I'll never be able to do it I, blah, blah, blah. I can give you a thousand different excuses That people make all the time to me as a pastor or why they don't do certain things One of the things wrong today in American culture Is that no one wants to be responsible for anything They don't America wants no rules, no regulations, no responsibilities, no accountability, no relationships. They just want to be free, not realizing that the law is what actually ensures their freedom. And America lacks all grace and mercy without any kind of consequences. Peter may have failed many times, but we don't see him making that mistake over and over and over. Peter learned by his mistakes. The mark of a true leader isn't in his ability to not make mistakes but more in his ability to learn from those mistakes and to keep himself from making those same mistakes twice. I'm going to make a statement here, and I believe it with all of my heart. Some of the most capable, dependable, trustworthy, and able people in our church is the people's lives that's got a testimony wrecked and havoced by mistakes. You know why? Because they've learned from them. They've learned from them. I'd like for the singers to come up, and I'm going to be closing here in just a few moments. Grace Hopper said, who was a retired admiral for the United States Navy, he said this, a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, strong enough to correct them. It was George Barner Shaw that said this, success does not consist in never making mistakes, but in never making the same one a second time. Someone said one time, some people change jobs, mates, and friends, and friends. But they really never think about changing themselves. Rick Warren said, When you're through improving, you're through. Amen. When you're through improving, you're done. When you think you got it all together and you're just satisfied and you sit back and you're content and the level of anointing that you're flowing in, it won't be long till you'll be backsliding because there is no neutral trial in God. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. You'll only sit and maintain for a certain amount of time. And you'll begin to lose. You'll begin to lose your momentum. And you'll begin to lose your even your own convictions. And you'll begin to compromise. And before long, you are deceived and you're on a downward trend. Every day it's a push. Every I like what Joyce Meyer said. Joyce Meyer said, they asked her, when did you get saved? When did you make the choice of salvation? She said, every day. Every day I choose up and say, I'm going to be saved today. Every day she said, I get up and I choose, I'm going to follow the will of God today. Every day I'm going to stand up and say, I'm going to make the right choices today. Every day I stand up and say, I'm not going back to that thing that I just come out of. Amen. I want to tell you, you didn't have to tell Jonah that he didn't really need to live in a well. You didn't have to remind him of that. He found that out the hard way. I have found out some things the hard way. I don't want to go back to some of the pits that I come out of, but I love the psalmist when he said that God has lifted you up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and put your feet upon a rock. And he what? Established your goings. What did he do? He established the goings of a pit dweller. He established the goings of people that wallowed around in miry mud and was filthy and dirty. But somehow, through it all, there was a transformation of the life where they were pulled out, delivered out, and brought forth, and their foot was put upon a rock. And then God established their goings. Everywhere they went, God was with them, anointing them, empowering them. Why? They used to be a pit dweller, but they found out the pit wasn't the place for them. The glory of the Lord is the place for the children of God, not the pits. Would you stand with me tonight. God don't want you dwelling around in pits, intimidation, false condemnation, wandering around, guilt, feeling the weight, feeling ugly, feeling insecure, feeling less than. <laughs> I think we all should say what Pauline Peter said. She said, Lord, when I'm wrong, make me willing to change. When I'm right, make me easy to live with, so strengthen me that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. When I thought that, I said, Oh, God, yeah. We can't be like Peter up and down there for a while. As long as we're in the house of God feeling good about ourselves, we can do a lot of good spiritual things. But then we wreck at home when the visible, tangible presence of God's not felt or seen or experienced. Then we start making wrong distortions, choices because we just feel like. I can't put the effort into it because if I put the effort into it, I feel like that I'll fail. And so what's more easier? Just label yourselves as a failure and never put any effort in trying to become what God wants you to do. Because a lack of faith in your ability to become what God wants you to be will always hold you captive in enslavement to the mediocrity of your life. If you never can believe that God loves you, He's got more for you. He's got significance for you. He's got fulfillment for you. Some of you are sitting here so bound by life's experiences that were unpleasant. That's bad. Sometimes I wonder if the Apostle Paul in this 21st century would be accepted behind our pulpits a murderer, a persecutor of the church. Man, he's a rough guy. Come on. Could we find enough grace to forgive a man like that And was he preached to us? Could we we really handle Peter as our pastor, short-fused, hot-headed, presumptuous, jumping out and saying things he shouldn't say, doing things out of a spare of a thought, spare of a moment, then wished he could have backtracked it, but he can't because he's already put it in motion. And yet through all of that, and we can go right through all the different people throughout scripture of all the flaws. We even see a man like the name of David, a man after God's own heart. He committed murder and adultery. David did. You want to hear about Abraham? Lied about who his wife was, got him in a horrible condition. Come on. Almost caused God to sleep with his own wife by saying it's his half sister, or by it's his sister. He lied; she was his half sister. But the truth of the matter is, we can go down through the patriarchs of old, and we can pick their lives apart. And there ain't no. sometimes when I read Hebrews chapter 11, I'm amazed. It talks about looking to the example of our of the heroes of the faith, and they name them, and some of them is Abraham and David and all them. And I look at that; and I thought, their lives are so dysfunctional at times. Dysfunctional families. If you don't believe me, go study the the children of David. son rapes a daughter, another son kills the other son. Come on, you can go on and on and on. dysfunctional family and yet God says, hey go study that family. there's examples for you to learn by. Their mistakes did not rob them of becoming what God called them to be. Your mistakes does not have to rob you of you becoming what you're supposed to be. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? John have you ever messed up? Have you really? You want to give us a list to tell us what they all are? You'd rather not do that, would you? Why? Because they're behind you. They're not with you anymore. You've learned by them. You're not going back to them. You've buried them. They're rendered ineffective. So why talk about them? They're gone. Why should you bring them up if God ain't bringing them up? And yet we do that all the time in the body of Christ. We'll start to sit out to do something. Here comes this little accuser, sits on our shoulder. You remember when, and he starts whispering all these different things into our ear. And before long, boom, our countenance falls. Our, our faith begins to fall. And before long, we find ourselves immobile because simply we are condemned by things that don't even exist anymore. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven. They're washed. He who in the Son set free is free indeed. Now let us reason together, and saith the Lord. Though your sin be as a scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You understand, Brother Miller? I got drunk a month ago. Was that not a month ago? Are you still drinking? Are you still doing the same old thing? No, 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 but, but I can't get over it. Get over it! Your pastor's getting over it, so why shouldn't you? Amen? Your pastor still believes in you. You know what hurts my heart more than anything? is when I see men and women that I know their lives because they come and talk to me. And I sit down in a chair and as they begin to spill their guts. Most of the stuff they talk about is things that don't even exist anymore. And they're holding on to it because of a guilt complex or, a spirit of intimid- or, or that which has formed a spirit of intimidation in their life. And they think they can't rise above it because of their past. That's a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. Amen. If you want significance tonight, I want to put you on a new path. I give you permission to fail. I don't give you permission to live in your failure and keep repeating the same failure, practicing the failure, but I give you permission to fail. Try. 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 Amen. You'll find out you can do more than what you thought you could do. You're going to find out that you're going to go higher places than what you thought was even, even possible. You're going to wake up same day and say, how in the world did I get here? And then you feel comfortable and you want to camp there and God comes along, oh, no, no, no. If you stop improving, you've stopped. You're done. No, 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 no. I have, I'm, I'm 23 years old. You didn't get that, did you? I'm 55 years old. And I go to the minister's meeting now, and I see all these young guys coming up, and that used to be, I used to be the youngest preacher in the state of Missouri, one of the youngest preachers that ever served on the state council. I was the young boy. I was the up and coming. That's who I was. And now I'm the old guys that the way I used to look at some of the guys on, the guys I used to look at on the council, they're dead and gone. I become that man. But I got news for them young guys. You better not try to get in my way, boy. I'm not done yet. You're not going to shovel dirt in my face yet. You're not going to place me in the grave yet. I still got some sermons to preach. I still got some laying on of hands to do. I still got some, uh, some prayers to pray. I still got some supernatural encouragements that I'm going I'm to experience. I still got some spiritual supernatural happenings in my forecast. It's still going to rain on Kim Miller. The rain ain't stopped. The glory's not stopped. I'm still pursuing. I am a Caleb. Give me my mountain. But I am not stopped failing either. I'll still plunder it. I'll still fail. I'll still step my toe. But I ain't going to count me out. If I'm talking to you in any way tonight or if you want spiritual significance tonight. I beg you, let God come do a work in your heart. Lay your baggage down. Just lay it down. Say, I'm through. Come on. I'm through, I'm done, I'm, I'm to of wrestling this stuff. I'm tired of being inferior, I'm tired of always getting upset, always judging people how they think. We always judge ourselves by the way, uh, we, we always judge what people think of us by the way we think of ourselves, amen? We do that. If little Miranda thought she was ugly, and I come along and I'm sitting there thinking, boy well, she's one of the most prettiest women I've ever seen. She'd say, Brother Miller thinks I'm ugly. Why does she think that? She don't even know what I think, but she thinks that I think that because she thinks that about herself. So she judges herself in the lens of her own perception. And therefore, then all of a sudden, there's ought between us and though I don't even know why it exists, and she don't even know why it exists. And it ain't even real. It's about imaginations, casting down every evil imagination, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I look her through the lens of scripture. She's unique, she's beautiful, she's a creation of God. She's a holy child of God, oh hallelujah, 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 until we begin to see ourselves as God sees us and the way he loves us and the way he has compassion on us, we'll never rise to our potential. And I'm asking you tonight, are you tired of the baggage? Are you tired of walling around and self pity over things that you've done wrong? Forget it, put them behind you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you need prayer tonight, I want you to come up. If you want significance, I want you to come up. I just want you to come. We're going to pray for significance to come upon this body. We're going to pray that people feel that significance and know that they're going to flow in the significance of the Lord. I'm closing. You can come. You don't have to wait. Hallelujah. Why is there so much conflict, Brother Mill? You'll be conflict till the day you die. It's a way of life for the believer. Hallelujah. I like for some of my elders and my prayer warriors and my ministers start getting around the people love on them pray for them pray that whatever spirits is fighting them or whatever it is that they're dealing with or whatever it is that they're wanting to overcome that they'll overcome it by the grace of God tonight in the name of Jesus Holy Spirit right now hallelujah! don't be afraid don't be afraid to just come and seek the Lord even if you, even if there's no real baggage there guard yourself hey I'm warning you Satan desires to sift you as wheat Make sure you're, you're not, not overconfident. Let your confidence be in your grace and your relationship with the Lord. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Dusty's the one that needs to be free of this. She's never been able to get in solid ground and be rooted because of the way that she views herself. Come on, Rusty. Come on, Rusty, baby. He's the lifter up of your head, baby. I break that bondage over your life. Tonight's a new beginning for you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. There's only love. There's only mercy. And believe me, it's enough. Your sins are gone. Without a trace. There's nothing left now There's only